This is the politics of everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. The modern reality is that if we're lucky enough to live a long life, we need to plan for our aged care. As life expectancy is predicted to be well over 100 for people being born today, our societal needs have to get to grips with how we looked after in those older years. Many families and people involved in the long-term care of ageing loved ones know too well that the pressure to make such big, emotional and costly decisions can prove to be a minefield. Today, I'm in conversation with Danielle Robertson, founder and CEO of DRC Care Solutions, which she launched in 2015 to fill in the gaps in the care sector and meet the numerous calls for assistance in navigating the services offered in the aged, disability and home care system. Danielle is my guest to discuss the politics of aged care. Welcome. Thanks so much, Amber. Thank you for having me. Look, you've worked in the aged care sector for more than three decades. How did you initially get into this area of work and how has this sector changed over that period? It's an interesting question. My mum actually gave birth to me in 1966 and as a result of that, she was very, very sick. And she actually uh, ended up starting a company called Dial and Angel uh, in 1967. So I was only a tiny tot and I was the third child. So I had two older sisters, a six-year-old and a three-year-old sister, and I was the brand new baby. Number one, women didn't start businesses in 1967, but as a result of her being so unwell when um, she'd had me, she had rung around a few uh, government organisations, the local council, to see if she could get some help in the home. She had moved down from Brisbane. She had no family support and she didn't really want to rely on neighbours or friends to help her. And uh, basically she did get over her illness and was vacuuming the floor one day and thought, I wish I could just have dialed an angel, just someone to run a vacuum over the floor, prepare a meal, drop one of the girls at school, one at uh, preschool and help with the newborn baby because there were no services like that. My dad had actually rung Karingai Council and said to them, is there a service like this? And they said, yes, there is, but you should have booked nine months ago. There is an emergency housekeeper's service. Wow, um, like you're going to know nine months in advance what you're going to need. And he said, he said to them, you know, if my wife had known she was going to be ill nine months ago, she wouldn't have fallen pregnant in the first place. <laughs> so it was, it was yeah, an interesting absolutely. That's, that's a really good point. <laughs> So getting into the yeah, aged care. And I know Dylan Angel, that's incredible that she started that business so long ago. So you've obviously had it grown up with this being a part of your life, this idea of care. It was. It was. Well, it was a family business. And, you know, my grandmother worked in the business for my mum for a period of time. Uh, my sister worked in the business for a period of time. My second sister worked in the business for a period of time. I was the child that said I would never work in the family business. And out of all of us, I spent 28 years in the business until we sold it in 2014. But look, I had a passion for helping people. I'd studied hospitality management and realized it wasn't for me. Worked in the hotel
hotel industry and sector for a, a couple of years before coming into the family business. Mum felt at that time that I should do something worthwhile and didn't know what I was going to do with my life. So she said, well, come and work with me for three or four months and see what you want to do. And, you know, 28 years later, <laughs> that, that's where I was. But, you know, mum retired in 2003 and she'd always said to me, you know, what do you want out of your life? What do you want? And I said, I want your job. Um, you know, so I, I was being um, sort of groomed and mentored by my mother to take over this business that had grown like Topsy. We became a national organisation. We had 10 offices around Australia. Three of those were franchised. So I got some exposure in franchising as well as the uh, aged care industries, the disability care industries. And it was interesting when the business first started, it was more home help. It was helping people with their domestic tasks and the childcare side of things. But as mum grew older and, and started ageing, we were getting a number of clients who were saying, look, you wouldn't be able to help me with my elderly mother. I've, you know, mum's just come out of hospital. I'm a bit worried about her living alone. I've got a child with a disability. I really need some respite. So that's how our aged and disability care services expanded and became, um, you know, it wasn't like, it was just organic growth. Um, and it was just because we were supplying such top quality carers um, at reasonable rates that people thought, gee, this is a great idea. It was a sort of the initial outsourcing of services, which was so unusual in those days. And as I said, I came into the business in 1986. We could see massive changes to the industry in aged care and disability care because more people were wanting to remain at home with care. And the government have certainly, uh, you know, been on board with that. We're making significant changes uh, just this year, actually, uh, to give the funding for home care packages to the consumer rather than the provider. So that's sort of my grounding that came into the industry, but it's all learnt, um, you know, I, I hit the ground running, learnt the whole business from the ground up. So re from recruitment and HR through to advertising, marketing, business development to IT, I've never had any exposure to that and I learnt on the ground there and, and had to develop systems and put in systems there, processes, policies, you know, we became accredited, ISO accredited in, in uh, late 2010. So, you know, we, we went through enterprise agreements. It was such a learning curve for me. I grew exponentially, professionally and, and personally in that time. I had a confidence. I felt comfortable in speaking to people, public speaking, speaking to forums. You know, I, I've, it, it helped me. And, and being a family business, it is very, very different to the corporate sector. That's incredible. What a story. I'm just blown away by that journey Just and all that period of time, the changes you would have seen. And I guess you know, we look at today and aged care facilities can be prohibitively expensive for many older people. And the reality is while people have this like idea, and I think I'm one of them too, that we're going to stay in our own homes forever or our extended family are going to come and look after us. I mean, the reality is modern life isn't like that. So how does one go about obtaining the best quality of aged care at a reasonable price. Yes, I mean, look, do your research, <laughs> do your homework, um, engage a, an experienced person to help. Really, you need to be guided by um, people, well, who know know the aged care industry. Don't limit yourself to aged care facilities. And this is what I'm out there speaking to so many different groups of people about is you know, the old-fashioned was uh, way was that if you got old, you moved into a residential care facility and that's it. That was your only option. Now we do have other options such as retirement living. We have assisted living. We have group homes for dementia care. Um, so it's, it's thinking about what you want and what you need and if you have the financial means to cope with that. 
what government funding you can get. And to do your research on the facilities themselves, if you're looking for a facility, make sure that you're getting feedback from from people who have got residents in there or or family members in there. Go and visit them. Feel it's it's like a look and feel of of an organisation. You know, if you're going into anywhere, you need to go in and feel that that's going to be suiting to suit your loved one. But you know, also go with your gut instinct. I mean, I've been into so many residential care facilities, and some are wonderful. And you know, you walk in and they smell fresh and clean. Others you walk into and you just know that this is not. The, the cleanest environment for your loved one. And look, others have got fantastic care, but not such great environments. Others have got fantastic environments and not such good care. So it's, it's really hard. And that's why I'm saying you really need to do your research and start now. Don't wait until a life event intervenes. A lot of people don't even think about age. And care. I think, I think that's a fantastic point just to pick you up on that, Danielle, because it's happened in my own extended family where it's the elephant in the room. It's almost like wheels or something like that, things that people don't want to talk about is this end end of your life care in some ways. And, you know, it gets to the point that someone has a major fall or they get cancer or that, you know, they're basically in the position where, okay, they can't go home now, what do we do? And I think that's where your options are very, very limited. Correct, correct. And that's why I'm saying, you know, when I'm, I speak at a number of financial planners, dealer groups and, and their financial planners' client seminars, accountant seminars, estate planners seminars where they've got their clients coming in. And many of people in the room are around my age, so 50-ish, you know, from 45 to 55, there's a number of us in there in the room interested in understanding what the options are. And then I'm saying, please go home and speak with your parents who are in their 70s and 80s about what they want. Because if it does intervene or if they lose capacity, say they do end up with dementia or if they've had a stroke or something that they can't actually get their, their words out, then you're stuck. You actually have to be, if you're the power of attorney or enduring guardian, you have to make decisions on behalf of that person. I say, have the difficult discussions now get them documented. And I mean, you know, this is something that I've been harping on for years. I can't believe how many people don't have wills or powers of attorney or enduring guardians. It's absolutely amazing. Start now, start now the discussions, have those difficult discussions and just bring it up by saying. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think that's the eye opener. I've had the experience and I know that we won't do that again with other family members because, mm-hmm. you know, we've been there and it's not it's not easy. And particularly if there's multiple siblings involved and other people to make the decision and you know, you kind of, yeah, you're guessing what that person's going to want or need. And the siblings all have different ideas. You know, one of the siblings might say, look, put mum into care. I think it's going to be the best thing. And the other two or three siblings are saying, no, we want to stay her to keep her at home. That was what she wanted. And the one that's saying put her into care maybe wasn't across that conversation to say, you know, I really want to stay at home and can we make it do as much as we can, whether we have to, um, you know, get equity release for the home to pay for this or whether the kids chip in or whether the people have got their own cash to actually get the person's wants and wishes adhered to, to get the best outcome for them. No, it's great advice. So with what you do these days, you have what we call a care concierge package that corporates are going to embrace. And I think this is a new idea for me. What sort of responsibilities does the corporate environment have to support its employees in helping make these kinds of decisions? Look, a number of large corporations, and I'm, I'm talking one of the big four banks contacted me and said, look, we're seeing a huge number of our staff, and I'm talking about 30% of our staff, this is what they've said to me, have caring responsibilities for aged care, disability care or childcare responsibilities. 16% of those people uh, have 
aged care and disability caring responsibilities. And what the the corporation was saying is that they're seeing that these people are taking time off work to try and negotiate care for their loved one, uh, whether it be emergency care, whether it be just respite, whether the person is living with them and that they've got medical appointments that they need to attend to. So they're saying to us, what? how can we alleviate that pressure and the time involved for these people taking time off work. If by chance an employee has a a member of family go into hospital and needs to find care, it can take them four to six weeks off work to try and figure out what to do. If they don't know the aged care system or disability care system, it's a minefield. So what the corporation's saying is, look, we'll assist you by getting somebody to assist you to navigate the system to get back done and dusted and back at work very quickly so it's a win-win situation for them it's a great business case that they can save a hell of a lot of money uh, by having a person like me come in and assist their employees to find the best outcome of care for their loved one it's a fantastic solution i think you know it'd be great if more corporates jumped on board because you know, you're right, it is time consuming. And if you bring in experts, it's like anything. When you bring in the people who do it every day, like yourself, it surely takes that, you know, that pressure and that sure. burden away. And then, and then the employee can also get on with their job. And I've seen it not just in large corporations. I mean, I'm part of Family Business Australia, which is an association for family businesses and a number of them. And, you know, there's one particular um, gent who's got a, a company here in, and in, in New Zealand. He has 350 staff and they're factory workers. And he said to me, I'd like to pay the first hour of your time to assist any of my employees to navigate the system um, so that they can then, you know, get back to work as quickly as possible and support them because a lot of them who are factory workers, English may be a second language. They don't know where to go or what to do for their loved one. The loved one may be living at home with them and all of a sudden they're taking a hell of a lot of time off work and they're worried about it. So the employer is saying, how can we assist you and bringing in my services? So it's not just that large corporations are doing it. You know, there's other smaller providers that are saying this is a value add to our employees. No, it's excellent. So I want you to get your crystal ball out now, Danielle, and paint us a bit of a picture of what you think the aged care framework or system will look like in the in the near future. Where are we headed? We've talked about the different options we have, mm. but is it going to change dramatically? I think it, there'll be more options available. I think we're going to be seeing more shared accommodation. So rather than having massive residential care facilities that can house, you know, 100 or 200 people, you're seeing more like the group homes, Group Homes Australia, that uh, that have up to 10 residents with dementia, living with dementia, uh, with three carers on site. I'm seeing what I feel will happen is there'll be more people aware. There's students who need accommodation who may be at university who can just stay and live with a elderly person just to cook them a meal or just to be there and make sure they're taking their medications. So I'm seeing quite a bit of innovation around that area. Um, I'm seeing also smaller, um, almost like caravan village type situations where people are able, particularly low means clients, um, are able to afford a place where it's like a retirement village, but in a, a like smaller little lodges, I suppose you could call them, with maybe care on site if need be. So, you know, I, I am seeing more and more options and I, the innovations coming up, I think there's a lot of people coming up with different different types of accommodation and care um, available to clients. But that's I think that's where it's heading. It's going to be more options for people and, and at various rates. 
rates too, because obviously not everyone has, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year to pay for 24-hour care. You know, you've got your low means clients, you've got a lot of people on pensions. So what happens to those people? So, you know, I see that there'll be some different options from the for the lower means people in society. Yes, it's interesting you talk about that. I did read something last week that in Tasmania they're piloting, I think, is it a whole village or a town that's I love um, it. <laughs> for dementia, for um, dementia patients. And um, I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on how, how that works. I mean, my first thought, my grandmother actually, um, my beloved grandmother passed away having had dementia for many years, about a decade ago, and she was in a high care facility because my grandfather wasn't in a position to take care of her mm. at the final stages. And I did think, oh, my goodness, is it is it going to be okay? Is that, is, that, is that good to put a lot of people together who might be having a dementia experience? Look, I think as long as there's good quality care available to the people as well, and, you know, that those people that have behavioural issues are managed appropriately, you know, and that you've got skilled carers that can manage that and have strategies in place to work with uh, clients living with dementia to ensure that they uh, are safe, that they're not going to be a risk to anyone else in the in the, in the village. I thought it was a brilliant idea, and I, I think there's going to be more and more little um, spots around Australia that are going to come up with innovations. They'll trial them and see how they go there's uh, in america there's these places called memory care centers very similar to the group homes that we have here but uh you know i think there there might be a, a, an option too it's just a normal residence that's retrofit for uh dementia specific uh clients that makes it safe but it's in their own environment they might they'd have old world charms around they'd have the um, old sort of antique furniture so it makes it feel like home to them that they're not which being i think is really important and I think that's something that maybe has been missing from some of the more traditional, you know, options out there. Well, I think they're more like hospitals and, you know, they're, they're glorified hospitals, some of them, um, and, and you can smell it as soon as you walk in. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. It's You walk into a hospital and there's a certain smell and you can walk into an aged care facility and it's got a certain smell. So if we can alleviate that and have it in a smaller situation in a residence, then, you know, I think it's better. It's a win-win for the, the client, for the carers and, and the outcomes for the the people who have got um, have dementia. Absolutely. So, look, the government in Australia is looking at making standards of quality aged care more consistent, and I, I do wonder if this is really achievable. And I know that you know a lot of it is a financially based industry. I know the private sector, for example, some of the beds in um, the part of Sydney where a lot of my family live, it can be up to a million dollars to even get in. Or over. Actually, over. over a yeah, million. probably yeah, over. Um, it was, and this was several years ago, it was a million dollars um, and it was a, a, a private, um, we're Jewish, a private Jewish nursing home mm-hmm. in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. But I, how consistent and achievable can these standards be when there is this kind of, I guess, financial pull on the system as well? Look, I think, yeah, look, I think it could be and should be achievable. Um, it'll be easier on providers if at, currently they've got four sets of audits, you know, and cross-checking is very time-consuming and costly if you have more than one site. So I think by sort of unifying the standards or making one standard, I think it, it is achievable. Um, currently there's accreditation, there's home care standards, there's Aboriginal Torres States, and then there's the transition, transition care standards. So I I'm, I'm believe that they are, actually piloting the standards towards the end of 
2017 and if adopted by the government will come into effect on the 1st of July next year. So there's plenty of not-for-profits in aged care as well as the for-profits, um, you know, and unfortunately the carers are, are on some of the lowest wages around yet we need good quality skilled staff. So that's going to create staff shortages because, you know, I mean, the, the, it's a flow-on effect. So, you know, the money that you're charging has got to pay for the staffing and, and the care, you know, being provided as well as the accommodation side of things as well as food and all the added services that people need and want such as physiotherapy and podiatry and the auxiliary health and allied health on top of that so you know it, the money's got to come from somewhere um, but from the standards point of view I, I certainly think it is achievable to get one model and that should be across all care it shouldn't be matter if it's disability care or if it's age care or if it's child care there should be just one set of standards no, that's a really important point i think and, and if anyone from the government is listening that's what we want <laughs> so what are some of the hot button topics that you speak about most commonly to those larger audiences in the sector you do touched on the idea that you do a lot of speaking these days what, yes. what are some of the big kind of trending topics in this sector that you you get demands to speak about the, the hot topics really are the options for care and what's available and the and uh, you know because it, a lot of people have been blinkered and, and thinking that care means that you have to move into a, a residential care facility, which is like a nursing home. And, you know, it's it's educating people about the different types of care available and, and the costs around that. Um, and, and, you know, some of the other topic is, do I go into residential care versus staying at home and the cost and avail- versus availability? They're, they're sort of hot topics that people want to understand, you know, is it cheaper to stay at home with care or is it more expensive? And how, if you are going to residential care, where are you going to get that five $500,000 RAD or million dollar RAD to go in there. Yes, you get that back. Once the person passes on, the estate gets that money back. But still, you've got to come up with the cash initially. And that's where we're seeing a number of equity release schemes uh, coming in. And, you know, rather than having to sell the family home just to get uh, the money to put somebody in there, uh, a residential care facility, you know, there, there's other options there. And people are interested in how can they do that without selling the family home. And another topic that always you know, creates all sorts of uh, debate is euthanasia, um, death and palliative care and how it's handled. Um, you know, that's that's a hot topic and you've got to be very careful about uh, making judgment or passing judgment on any on any uh, um, issues around that. But, you know, it's, it's having a good death, if they can say that, um, to make sure that that person isn't suffering, uh, that they're in the environment that they want to be in, that they're um, out of pain and that, you know, the loved ones are around them. Um, and and that's to me very, very important. But they're the sort of three sort of hot topics that um, you know I'm speaking about. But yes, it's mainly the options for care that people are interested in because, as I said, traditionally it's always been about you, you get old, you move into a nursing home. Um, but you know that that's very different these days. Oh, God's waiting room, as they used to call it. Yeah. I don't know if they use My that grandmother term said that. She said, "I'm not going in there because I know that I'm not coming out. Not 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 uh, alive anyway." <laughs> <laughs> it's not the hill turn. Can't check out again. Um, I'm a big believer that uh, everyone's journey has inspirational people and mentors in their life, and it sounds like your mother was definitely one of them. Yes. Is there anyone else that comes to mind, and what do they teach you about career, business, and life, really? 
you know what? I mean, really, I mean, I've, I've been surrounded by some amazing people professionally and personally in my 31 years in, in this industry. And, you know, my mum has been absolute conduit to, you know, I, I look at her at 1967, starting a business, three kids under the age of uh, six. You've got, um, she was helping my dad in his business. She is the epitome of a mentor. She guided, she, she never um, was condescending. She always listened to any ideas that I had we look we butted heads on more than one occasion in you know obviously uh, 20 odd years that we were working together Um, it wouldn't be a family business if you didn't I don't think correct correct but you know uh, you know as I said I had two older sisters as well that worked in the business for a period of time but we didn't have the closeness that mum and I had and that clear line of communication Um, you know mum always said go with your gut communicate and one of the key things that I've learned over the years is to listen carefully I think people forget to listen um you know we we're all gusto and telling people about what we know and what we want to know and what we want what we think we know and you know it's very very important to listen and I learned that from mum when I was very young you know I was 19 in the business and you know as she said you've got two ears and one mouth and uh, you know make sure that you you use those in those proportions so listen doubly as hard as you speak so you know I mean I, I really believe she's been my mentor as I said I've been guided by so many people over the years I've got a very good affiliate with Family Business Australia, which is, as I said, an association for family businesses. Um, and actually, I'm now the chairman of New South Wales and ACT and on the national board because I have a such strong, I suppose, connection to the family business industry. And I see that, you know, there's so many struggles that happen uh, with succession and exit planning. And, and even this aged care piece, it just fits so nicely within that aged care in, at the Family Business Association. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm very much involved there and I've learned so many things from different family businesses over the year, years. And, you know, they're not just small businesses and I'm, I'm very keen to sort of express that, that you've got the big businesses, that you've got um, Kennards, you've got uh, AH Beard, you've got uh, Two Men in a Truck, you've got national organisations, you've got Cooper's Beers, you've got uh, Scenic World. It, there's huge businesses there that, you know, there's a misconception that family businesses are small businesses. But, you know, I've learned so much of you know there's a lot of failures that happen but there's also some wonderful successes and you can learn from the failures I've learned over the years watching other businesses going through turmoil um, and coming out the other end and it really helped me when mum and I were going through succession planning and through and going through succession and exit planning for the business and exiting for mum and and you know selling the business I've learned so much over the years and as I said there's a number of mentors in the family business area that um, you know have guided me as well. That's fantastic. Just to wrap up, what are some of the tips that you have for anyone wanting to navigate the politics of aged care? Is there one, two or three little short pieces of advice that you could give the audience? Yeah, I did mention them previously, but do your research early, plan ahead and document what what it is that your loved one wants so that everyone is aware of it and use a trusted financial advisor or an estate planner or an estate lawyer because that's absolutely key to making sure that you're being guided in the right way um, and you know that most of the financial planners that I work with are accredited in aged care so make sure you do use those people that know the industry and 
make sure that you're not getting ripped off and that can guide you. So get that guidance. And, and as I said, just do your research and, and, you know, your discussions early in the piece before you need to. Yeah, no, that's really great advice. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's a big topic and you have such a wealth of knowledge. So thank you for sharing it today. If you want to connect further with Danielle, we'll have some details on our show notes of how to reach her through social media and online. You've been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, stay well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E, C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.